The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawkbox, and these are your headlines. In terms of the news on the midterm elections, the Twitter CEO, Elon Musk, is calling on independent voters to back Republican midterm candidates, while former President Donald Trump teases a return to the race, and President Biden claims democracy is on the ballot. We know in our bones that our democracy is at risk, and we know that this is your moment to defend it, preserve it, protect it, choose it. So Wall Street has rallied, though, for the second straight session with the Dow closing up over 400 points as investors count down to the hotly anticipated midterms with control of Congress up for grabs. The EU warns that the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act breaches international trade rules, according to an official document seen by CNBC, with German Finance Minister Christian Lindner telling us he's concerned about the impact on business. We should be open for it if both sides uh, would agree. But at the moment, we have to analyze the Inflation Reduction Act uh, with its consequences for our industries. Plus, world leaders pledging billions to support climate change, but the gap between ambition and execution remains. We'll have the latest from COP27 at Sharm el-Sheikh. Global temperatures keep rising, and our planet is fast approaching tipping points that will make climate chaos irreversible. We are on a highway to climate hell, with our foot still on the accelerator. So the stakes couldn't be higher as we head into the midterm elections. Polls across the United States will open later this morning for the midterm elections with control of Congress hanging in the balance. Inflation, abortion rights and democracy are top of mind for most voters this year. Over 44 million ballots have already been cast as of Monday night in early voting. Well, Democrats are trying to defend their currently slim majority in the House of Representatives, where the President's party holds 220 seats to the Republicans' 212. All 435 seats are up for election, and the winners will each serve two years. Well, Republicans are also looking to flip the Senate, where the Democrats currently hold a 50-50 majority, with Vice President Kamala Harris serving as the tie-breaking vote. 34 Senate seats are up for grabs this year, and close contests in Georgia, Nevada, Arizona and Pennsylvania could prove pivotal. President Biden was out on the campaign trail yesterday trying to shore up Democratic support despite his low approval ratings. We know in our bones that our democracy is at risk and we know that this is your moment to defend it, preserve it, protect it, choose it. And I want you to know we'll meet this moment. Remember, the power in America lies where it always does, in your hands, the hands of the people. 
President Biden there. Well, former U.S. President Donald Trump has suggested he will launch his 2024 presidential campaign next week, saying he will make a, quote, very big announcement on November the 15th at his Mar-a-Lago resort. Trump reportedly considered announcing his campaign last night, something many Republicans feared could potentially alienate independent voters and energize Democrats. Trump has been campaigning for a slew of Republican candidates ahead of the midterms. This is the year we're going to take back the House, we're going to take back the Senate, and we're going to take back America. And in 2024, most importantly, we are going to take back our magnificent White House. Take it back. Twitter's new CEO Elon Musk has encouraged Americans to vote for a Republican Congress, the first time a major U.S. social media CEO has explicitly endorsed a political party. Musk said voters should be independent-minded and that, quote, shared power curbs uh, the worst excess of both parties. Musk later tweeted that he has voted Democrat in the past, Although his party affiliation has been independent, Musk has previously called for Twitter to be a politically neutral platform, but a Republican-controlled Congress is seen to be more favorable for tech regulation. And in terms of uh, what it all means for the markets, I think a lot of analysts this morning uh, are trying to take in Mike Wilson's comments over at Morgan Stanley. He's effectively now stepped out and said that having called the October rebound accurately, he now thinks there is potential for the US markets to rally post the midterms here. And he thinks we might just get a bit of a continuation of this uh, this feel good if you like around where markets may go a split outcome is seen as gridlock potentially when it comes to washington and what we see in terms of policy change and that is perceived as good news for stocks but just stepping away from where we've come from if you think about all the dynamics impacting stocks right now it's uh, the, the pace of increases from the Federal Reserve and the fact that we can't see uh, where the terminal rate is going to end. And at this point, it seems like it is going to be higher rather than the lower number. This is all roiling stocks. Uh, the cost of living crisis impacting very large consumption economy. So despite what we get in terms of an outcome from the midterms, is there really upside for stocks here? It feels a little bit differ different to traditional political environments where we talk about the political outcome pushing stocks forward. I just question whether we see that on the back of any outcome. Yeah, I think you've got to put them in the mix. I think the midterms are important, but I don't think that the be or nil factor by a long way. In fact, I don't think they're the first or second most important factor by a country mile. The first most important factor at the moment, without doubt, affecting the psyche of whether you buy or not, is what the decimal is on the CPI print later in the week. There is no doubt about it because that is what they're all uh, teetering on. Is the Fed going to find some form of pivot? And you and I, well, Jeff has been uh, sunning himself in Bournemouth or somewhere, uh, have been talking about <laughs> what a pivot means means these days people don't sun themselves in Bournemouth in, in November by the way for our international viewers uh, but, but whether a pivot actually just means a pause these days or actually it means uh, what is it you said uh, a lessening rate of growth in interest rates as well so it doesn't mean cutting rates but that's the key it's 
the CPI, it's the data top down. And then the second most important thing is without doubt the earnings bottom up as well. And we're, we're picking on a stock by stock basis what we're seeing is bad news from a, a Roku or, or great news from one of the investment banks. And we're seeing it on a stock by stock basis. So as much as the midterms are very important, very important without doubt of what they mean as a marker for whether Trump can stand as the Republican candidate in 2024 and whether Biden is the uh, Democrat candidate in 2024 and face the primary himself. Who knows as well? So I think it's important. It's always important, but it's number three as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I mean, you know, back to your point about the inflation number. Uh, ultimately, this is all about where we're going on long-term yields. And that's why... I think people like Mike Wilson and others out there who believe that ultimately uh, the Republicans will make significant gains. There is still a traditional idea that the Republican Party is likely to have more fiscal discipline than the Democrats and ultimately that, that will be better for equity markets because it will bring down yields at the, the long US end. Debt clock? Which, which, as you oh, know, I've mildly obsessed about for most of this century. And yeah. guess what? It doesn't matter who the stripes are, whether you're a Bush or an Obama, a Trump or a Biden, the debt clock keeps ticking northwards as well. So I wouldn't say either party has been particularly great at reining in that spending. If there are concerns around a debt default, though, and don't forget we've had moments in time where both sides have been sort of pushing the agenda and we're not seeing the debt ceiling lifted, I wonder whether this time might be uh, quite testing for markets. We already had concerns around the gilt market yeah. in the, the UK, and clearly there can be some distortions in the background. Bond vigilante is very much out and about these days. So I do wonder whether it would be dicey territory if we had that event this time around. Just circling back to a couple of stocks as well. There are specific names to watch out for and don't forget we've got areas of the market that have been hard hit, namely clean energy and also cannabis. Uh, these were hot areas of the market, don't forget. And if there happened to be a, a democratic victory, you could see some of these Sorry, areas you, actually I, I, bounce. I, I, I zoned out for two seconds and then zoned back in when you said the but word cannabis. Well, that's How the right we zone. There from US terminal rates? So, so these are Eric and areas of the market that you've seen a lot of oh, uh, hot air come okay. out of. And if you get a change around the politics, you may actually see right. momentum in some of these names. Slightly less spicy, uh, the defence side, both sides I, I are spending up. Republicans could spend a little bit more. Yeah. Traditional energy, you could see the Republican, uh, any Republican outcome beneficial for the oil and gas I, I, think, I think your point is, is, is well made. But I think there's also the fact is that you're pushing on an open door in this market. At the moment. I, I hear what Mike Wilson's saying, mm. but I also know that nerves are shredded. When we're looking at some of these hedge fund performances, these asset Manager performances uh, and indeed our viewers, the retail viewer uh, performances, they are they are under pressure this year because most of them have long bias and they are losing money heartily this year. So I think anything that adds to that tension, that tweaks the nerves a little bit more, whether it be funding in, in, in Capitol Hill, and, I, and I, again, I take your point, or, or, or whether it be anything going on geopolitically or the relationship with China as well, you're pushing on an open door. So the nerves are shredded at the moment and there's a lot of losses out there. And also, I think there's a liquidity problem in parts of the market. No, I absolutely agree with, with that point. I mean, I, I think what we're actually describing here is not necessarily a market that is going down, but a market that is in a spate of vicious rotation. And that rotation has been generated by the rising cost of capital and the fact that China is not setting the pace of growth here because of COVID zero. So for, for all the fund managers and the analysts and the uh, investors at home who are trying to figure out what is going on here, there are 
lots of reasons to be very sceptical about businesses that don't have a proven business model, that were built on the basis of hope and a lot of cheap money. And I think that is already being exposed and people are rotating away from that. But I don't think people have fully got the message yet that they need to be, one, looking at sectors where there is a current exciting narrative. And I think that's what you're describing, whether that's cannabis or whether that's green tech yes. or whether that's existing energy companies. But there is also, I think, a need for people to start looking a lot harder at balance sheets and trying to understand which companies are going to be hurt by the rising cost of capital and which ones are going to come through and weather that better. And the other thing I would say is you also need to have a very close eye on which countries and currencies can do okay or at least not be beaten up by the strong dollar at the moment. And remarkably there are some countries and currencies out there that have actually done better. Look at the Mexican peso. It's one of the few currencies that hasn't gone down because there is this belief in friendshoring, i.e. that it's not yeah. going to be great to bring business back from China to the United States because of the cost per unit of labor, but it might be good to take it so, to Mexico. So Mexico may be a major beneficiary of that anti antagonism between the US and China at the moment. So, so to, you to, need to be very discerning. Just to reverse to, to comment you just made about the balance sheet, a real life example of this, for instance, technology. And don't forget there's some thought process. If you get gridlock, then you won't get any real change to regulation targeting the big technology names, that there just won't be any momentum on either side of this gridlock. And if you think about one company in particular that has been very, very much in the sights of regulators, that is Meta, Facebook. And if you think about what moved that stock lately, it was a focus on the balance sheet, the negative news we had first up on the back of earnings, that it was still spending up big in this type of cycle. And then the flip side, that uh, there were reportedly some cuts coming, and then the stock bounced. So it was a real focus down on the, the balance sheet profitability. This time round, if we get an outcome, will we see Meta rally uh, on the back of any gridlock I, I, I if will, it happens? I, I think there's so much you guys have just said that I want to respond to. I'm not allowed to respond to it, over A, balance sheet, come on. Have we failed for 20 odd years? Because that's what we've been talking about, that people should have been looking at the balance sheet for 20 years. Two, to your point about Meta, I wouldn't worry about the regulation on Meta, Karen. They're doing a pretty good job of destroying themselves at the moment and making themselves a much smaller market cap company as well and spending a vast amount of money That's on a point. project. It's which is more dominant. I, I wouldn't worry too much about regulation going down the pipe at Meta the way they're handling their own business. Well, well, well either he is a genius and uh, we're all we're, just question whether he can monetize well, it he, I, I, you know <laughs> does does lightning strike twice in the same place because he's been a genius once right for facebook Can, has he got the solution to now take us forward over the next 20 years is meta and that whole concept of these virtual worlds really what the world is looking for it may be i don't know but at the market the stock at, at this point, investors are really asking the question, aren't they? Yeah, it's an expensive pathway, but it's, you know, steering us off midterms, mid I think uh, regulation was just one of those elements in the backdrop that was threatening potentially to impact some of those in the sector. But it's just been overtaken by all these other issues that they've got uh, Meta's own self-help issues to steer towards the future, cost of capital, the inflation story, all the other elements we've been talking about that's destroyed the pathway for tech lately. I mean, um, tech, tech is going to matter. Tech is going to be incredibly important because what I think through these kind of periods, tech derived from um, defence innovation 
is incredibly significant in a world where everybody is rearming themselves. So that's going to matter a lot. But also tech and innovation related to those kind of industries that we've been discussing. So there will be companies like um, Adasso Systems, maybe, that does 3D design and modeling you know, and proof of purpose of, of kit before it actually gets made. Those kind of companies, I think, will do very well in this because as, as we all are aware of, you know, as it becomes, as you, as you have to be much more careful about how you allocate every dollar because it costs more to borrow those dollars, you're gonna have to come, you're gonna have to focus on technology that is clearly going to be profitable and beneficial. Yeah. So things like, you know, how, how, back in your wheelhouse, you know, how, how do we come up with a, a, a way of, of preventing flaring of gas, for example, in some countries where they still do things like that? You know, it is a, an environmental imperative but maybe those countries don't feel that the technology is cheap enough to prevent them doing that yeah. or recycling that gas back into yeah. you know, yeah. purposeful uses. I'm, I'm going to call a halt on this because poor Adam, he's desperate to get us to the break. He's uh, desperate. And, and for more on the <laughs> countdown to the midterms, check out our live blog on cnbc.com. Uh, shall I just add lib, Adam, or shall I read what it says? <laughs> Adam's the director. He's a little bit broken already after 16 minutes today. Uh, coming up on the show, the EU says it has serious concerns over the US Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, does it now? Well, we'll have the latest from Brussels after the break. And the podcast, Karen, is any good today? Yeah, and as to why you just won some credits with the director for uh, cutting off the chat there. And we've also got plenty more on the US midterm elections as well as the latest market action. Check out the Scorebox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Just at the time when you think the EU and the US should be getting it together internationally, you've got threats to the left, you've got threats to the right. You'd think that the two great democratic blocks of the planet could get their act together. But oh no, that's not the case. Because the EU now it says it has, quote, serious concerns over the newly introduced US Inflation Reduction Act as it breaches international trading rules. Uh, the bloc says it's currently working on finding a solution with Washington. Sylvia joins us with more. Sylvia, first of all, I want to see where you are. Well, you're in Brussels? You're in Brussels. Well, what, what, I'm back in Brussels, Steve. Well, lucky old you. It is your second home or first home these days. Uh, what, what has the EU got problem with now? Tell us all about it. Good morning to you. Good morning. Indeed, the big issue for the Europeans here, Steve, is the fact that the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act includes subsidies and the way that they have been designed could be a problem for European companies. The big issue here is really those tax credits that will be given to consumers in the United States to buy electric cars made in North America. This is the key wording here, North America. And that, of course, could be a problem for European companies 
companies. There's a concern here in Brussels that some firms might consider relocating there to therefore also be able to benefit from those tax credits. So let's see how this will evolve. But clearly, this is not the first time that the European Union raised concerns about this piece of law, but they are getting more vocal about it. I saw it in a document yesterday. I heard it from finance ministers as well yesterday. And this is going to be debated officially this morning here in Brussels when the finance ministers of the European Union gather in a few moments time. Within this context, though, one of the comments from uh, the finance minister of Germany here yesterday was that perhaps this should actually be the moment where the US and the EU look for new opportunities in the trade arena. And so I asked them whether he meant that both sides should look to get, to get together and negotiate a new trade agreement. This is what he had to say. We should be open for it if both sides uh, would agree. But at the moment, we have to analyze the Inflation Reduction Act uh, with its consequences for our industries. And uh, we have to inform the U.S. side about our, our serious concerns. I'm not sure whether they are aware of our concerns in the way we are concerned. So Christian Linda, they're making it very clear that there's very serious concerns about uh, the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. And there was also the same comment I got earlier in the day from uh, the finance minister of Luxembourg. She spoke to me exclusively here. And she also said that even though they acknowledge the climate ambitions from the United States, there's problems with this legislation. As a first point, what I would uh, like to say is that I'm very happy that uh, also we share with the U.S. a common analysis about climate change and what we need to do against climate change. Now on the competitiveness uh, angle, uh, we have to look into this uh, in detail. We have to see what it really means also uh, for uh, the Eurozone, for the European economy, the consequences the U.S. measures uh, could uh, have. We also need to see if this is WTO compliance. Compatible. Um, but um, I think what's very important is also that uh, the exchanges are taking place between the EU and uh, the US. This is happening. This needs to continue. Uh, this, uh, these exchanges and coordination is really indispensable. Uh, in general, I also uh, would like to say that from the uh, European perspective, we have to be also very ca careful that we don't, on our side, create a kind of fortress Europe. I think that would be counterproductive also for us. But in essence, are you concerned about potential protectionism? Even though these measures are aimed to tackle climate change, is there a risk here of protectionist measures? I think more generally in today's world, uh, there is a risk of uh, protectionist reflexes in many parts. And I think, yes, in general, I'm very concerned about that. European officials will be discussing uh, the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act with their American counterparts in the coming weeks. But let's see how this will unfold, because we know that for the time being, U.S. officials are focused on their domestic politics.
UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has warned the world is, quote, on the highway to climate hell. During an impassioned speech at the COP27 summit in Sharm el-Sheikh, the UN chief called on the world's leading economies and institutions to help developing nations burdened by debt and struggling to pay the cost of climate disasters. Dan joins us from the COP27 conference in Egypt. Uh, Dan, this was an incredible speech. Just walk us through the big takeaway points. It was full of rhetoric, Karen, and that's because expectations for any kind of genuine progress here are quite low. What we know is the goal of reducing emissions has really been overshadowed by the need to maintain energy security this year, with Russia's war in Ukraine, the energy crisis, soaring inflation, all undermining policy efforts for progress. So we did hear from the UN Secretary General. He said that the world is on a highway to climate hell with our foot still firmly on the accelerator. So leaders here have been talking about mitigation, adaptation and climate financing, as well as loss and damage, which is a relatively new agenda item to be discussed here. But you do also get the sense that the gap between ambition and execution is wide and that more work is going to need to be, need to be done here for COP27 to be considered a success just yet. There has been some key announcements though. We did see the UK PM Rishi Sunak doubling down on his 11.6 billion pound climate pledge. He also met with the French President Emmanuel Macron here for the first time as leader. And Macron also used his address to call on countries like the US and China to do more to pay up. Interestingly though, and perhaps most critically, no show from the leaders of China and India. These are two of the world's biggest emitters. And also absent from the conversation here are leaders from the oil and gas industry. That's of course despite their own pledges to be part of the solution. The other interesting thing we've been focusing in on here are these accusations of climate rhetoric and greenwashing as well, all running high with Coca-Cola, which is one of the world's biggest users of single-use plastics, coming under fire for being allowed to sponsor this event. Yes, Coca-Cola is a key sponsor of COP27. We spoke with the Australian billionaire Andrew Forrest. He weighed in on that and the progress that's been made here so far. Listen in. We're stepping up and saying, we can step beyond fossil fuels. We're happy that you guys are the best energy companies in the world, but not if you do a Coca-Cola. Not if the only package you serve your energy up in is fossil fuel. You're, you're forcing your customers to actually pollute and destroy the planet for their kids. You're a huge energy company, step up. Don't say I'm doing 10 or 15% or maybe even 20 cent of, my, of last year's budget when your profits have gone up um, multiple this year. It's probably a fraction now. Serve the energy up in where consumers want you to serve the energy up in, and that is with pollution-free energy, and of course that is only renewable energy. Andrew Forrest there. So throughout the rest of the week, we are going to see more world leaders arriving here in the seaside resort town of Sham el-Sheikh, including US President Joe Biden, who is set to arrive on Friday. Of course, he's tied up at home at the moment because of the start of the US midterm elections. So it'll be interesting to see what he has to say. But above all, we're still waiting to learn of any major climate progress at this conference. And as I said before, you really get the sense that it probably won't be until COP28 in the UAE where real commitments and progress towards climate action is made. It's back over to you. Yeah, well, Dan, I guess you'd have to have the leaders of the largest emitters actually attending, wouldn't you, like China, India, Russia, Indonesia, to make some of that progress. So perhaps you're right. It'll have to be the next meeting. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.